Dr. Sarah Brett was raised in Perth, Australia, and earned her veterinary degree from Murdoch University in 1986. After graduation, she spent time in a mixed animal practice in southwest Western Australia. Afterwards, she moved north to Dungara for three and a half years to work in a mixed practice and spent time working as a barmaid, sheep roustabout, and freight deliverer. She then took a three-month locum position in Kununurra, a northern border town in the Kimberley, and hasn't left in the last 33 years. The practice is mixed, but mostly small animal. They also have a satellite practice 100 kilometers away. Dr. Brett has a, had a long-standing interest in wildlife medicine and does this as well. After learning the value of holistic medicine firsthand after some injuries, she uses homeopathy, Chinese herbal medicine, acupuncture, twina, and nutritional supplements in her patients. She's lectured about the use of holistic medicine in treating wildlife at conferences around Australia. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Sarah Brett as we talk about her education, practice life, and her life outside of practice on a property with 800 mango trees and a wonderful stone home. We also discuss her love of live music and belly dancing. Dr. Brent, it's great to talk to you today. Hello, it's lovely to talk to you as well, Neil. So you grew up in Perth. I did, yes. I'm a city girl to start with. Um, and um, yes, grew up in a, a lovely, beautiful, safe, loving environment, which is very lucky these days, of course. You bet. Lots of uh, pets when you grew up? Oh, we did. We had many pets. And um, I was the kid that would walk out on the front lawn and find somebody else's cat with a ruptured abscess or, <clears throat> excuse me, go down to the park and find injured birds and things that I would bring home to care for. So our home was full of cats, dogs, mice, rats, birds, guinea pigs, many, many things. So uh, my mother worked at the local cat shelter. So Animals were an integral integral part of my childhood. When uh, at what point did you think that you want to be a veterinarian? Then, <laughs> well, it was funny, really. From when I was five, apparently, I used to tell everybody that I was going to be a doctor. Um, but it really wasn't until I got to high school that I realised, for me personally, that was about being an animal doctor, not about being a human doctor. I'm still not the greatest fan of humans. I must say, there's some very wonderful and magnificent ones, but. Um, Creatures are, are really essentially my tribe. There is no doubt about that. Oh, that's great. So you went to Murdoch? I went to Murdoch Uni, yes, I did. Um, that was a you know very wonderful vet school. We were very, very lucky because we had a farm on campus. So all the eastern states um, vet schools in Australia have to travel to go and do their large animal work, whereas Murdoch was purpose-built as a veterinary hospital and so we had access to cattle, horses, pigs, sheep, as well as the dogs and cats because it was an actually a direct access clinic as well. So I feel certainly when comparing my experience of, as a student to those of others I then later met, um, that you know, we did have an awesome foundation in hands-on vetting as well as, you know, the, the theory and the, as, you know, that the book learning. So I think that was certainly, I found the new graduate, a great advantage. How big was your class? 50, 48 actually. And then we had a couple of people who deferred from years gone by that came back into our class as well. So um, it, it was a very different dynamic to what it is today. How big are the classes now? Oh, hundreds, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and a lot. And what percentage of your class were women? Uh, again, it was, and my year was a very interesting turning point. So I went into university in 1982. The year before us was very, very many Aussie blokes, um, whereas my year um, we had uh, the first time where the ratio had changed. So we had two girls to one boy as instead of one boy, you know, one girl to two boys in previous intakes. So our class certainly had a very different feel to um, you know to many of the this you know the the other previous classes and certainly that female loading I think essentially really continued from my year on. Did it? Uh, do you think it changed things in the hospital? Did you sense any of that? Oh, I think it is a different dynamic. Slightly less larrikin and slightly more focused. I think would be the good positive part of it. Yeah, we're we're of similar ages, so uh, you know it just tra- uh, tranquilizers were coming into use in large animal practice then. So it just you know it wasn't. I mean, it was physical, obviously, but just that it was. I think it, that around that time was a turning point, making it easier for everyone to work on large animals, for instance. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> did you? Uh, what sort of medicine did you think you wanted to practice when you got out of school? I don't know that I really had much preconceptions. I think essentially, you know, my world had generally been small animals, though so I'd had a small smattering of, you know, sort of horse experience and that sort of stuff. But certainly for me, I've always particularly had a passion for wildlife and, and I was privileged enough to do a little bit of exotics later down the track as well, which was very exciting for me. One of my <laughs> partners for a few year, years was a rigid-edge lion tamer in the circus, so that was fairly exciting. <laughs> I bet. What sort of practice did you go into after you graduated then? I went into mixed practice, which truly was a baptism of fire. We had two new graduates in the clinic and our two bosses who were mostly out, one essentially doing cattle and one essentially doing horses, were rarely within the clinic. So as far as a new graduate doing fat bitch spays and those sorts of things, it was very traumatic. And that was a lot of my understanding or my impression of the the great foundation I'd had at Murdoch because the other new graduate that started was an Eastern States girl and she had had very little hands-on experience. So comparatively, I was I did feel very blessed that, you know, I had had some really great practical foundation on our campus. Oh, yeah. I bet that gave you a comfort factor for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It what, did. Uh, what, what part of the country were you? What part of the country were you in? Um, southwest of Perth. So a few hours south of Perth. Hmm. It's me. And then how, how, how long were you there and, and where did you go after? So my mother actually passed away when I was at university. So life was fairly tumultuous. Um, she got sick in the middle of my university career and then passed away in my fourth year. So life was fairly stressful and torrid um, and I um, really wanted to stay in Western Australia and at the time there was only one job available in Western Australia. It's not like it is now with so many jobs that can't be filled. Um, so I took a job just immediately southwest of, of Perth um, so I could be close still to my family and my siblings 
Um, it was absolutely terrible money. It was really hard, really stressful, and <laughs> pretty much ended up in my divorce um, 18 months later. And that, at that point, I, you know, my husband and I would, were planning to go travelling around Australia. Um, at that point when we separated, I just kept travel. well, went north um, to a place where I essentially had my first locum booked, and that was supposed to be three months and three and a half years later I left that town um, and that was, you know, certainly uh, for me a lot of my growing up, you know, it was the first time I was solo, that I didn't have family there. Um, but, yeah, I did make carve myself a little niche there and did some other things as well as vetting, which was great. So I delivered freight for a friend who had a truck for a while. I was a rouseabout with sheep and caught three and a half thousand lambs and ended up with some muscles I never knew I was capable of having and, um, yeah, some really great different life experiences as well as have done, you know, a lot of vetting. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it was a, it certainly was an education and certainly started my, um, you know, I think my, my own personal growth, um, out from the shelter of your family and, you know, sheltered environment. So were you practicing while you're doing all these other things or you were just yep. doing locum work? What, how are you fitting veterinary medicine in there? Yeah, so I was a part-time vet. Um, the, at that time it was when the um, drench resistance testing for sheep drenches was being, you know, first started realising that there was some terrible resistance in the drenches. So my boss was out doing a lot of resistance testing, you know, basically collecting a whole lot of poop from sheep. Um, and um, I was in the practice, so sort of, you know, part to two-thirds time and the rest of the time and weekends just trying to get more money. My intention at that time was I was going to go travelling further north, so I was trying to work, you know, two or three jobs to earn a bunch of money. Never really happened, um, but I had a great time. Ah, good. So uh, where'd you go from there? From there, I headed north to pretty much where I am now. So, again, I came to Kununurra for a three-month locum, and Kununurra is at the very, very peak of um, northern western Australia. It's in the Kimberley. It's tropical. And I'd heard about Kununurra once before from a friend who lived here when he was a kid, and um, I really knew nothing about Kununurra, and probably in a way that's good. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I came here for a three-month locum because my sister was had been um, had moved here with her husband, and he was a wildlife officer in the district. And I came up. We found out that the, across the wet season there was a three-month vacancy. Um, again, a little bit like my Donga experience, but far more extended. I came here for three months and, and essentially never left. Um, the practice that I came to up here was a a miserable excuse for a vet centre, I must say, and essentially the basis of this practice was about um, tuberculosis testing, TB testing throughout the Kimberley. So essentially the focus was on large animals and essentially during the year it was vets who flew out to stations and did all this testing on the TB, whereas I was here for the wet season. So essentially just doing dogs and cats, um, you know, because the stations were not active in the wet, you just physically can't get out there. Um, but yes, it was an, an, an amazing experience from the get-go. Um, I got, I drove into the place and had a massive deja vu experience and went, oh my goodness, I've never been here and hardly heard about it, but I feel like I've come home. Um, and it, it really was a profound moment for me. And, and really essentially since there, I have just loved 
this crazy place. One of the very early descriptions of Kununurra that I was told by a locum was it's a loc- it's, <laughs> Kununurra is the open-air asylum um, and there is certainly something about tropical madness is a thing. Yeah. Um, so w- how many veterinarians were in the practice when you arrived to do that locum stint? Me. You. Yep, just yeah. me. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. And then, so you're there for three months and you decided to stay on. Did you, did you, uh, well, it's kind develop of a small animal practice further from that? Or? It's slightly more complicated than that. And it really is a convoluted story that really could never happen now. Um, but across in the Northern Territory, there was a, a bigger vet practice over there. The chap from um, the practice in Catherine came over to um, investigate Kununurra and he thought he might like to um, extend into, you know, the Kimberley. He came to visit my then boss who said, no, he wasn't interesting in se- interested in selling the practice. Um, and because I'd only been employed for a three-month locum, that same fellow then approached me and said, you know, what were my plans and what did I think about setting up a practice for him in Kununurra? And at that time I'd also just found out that all the drench resisting resistance testing down south that you know had been pretty much happening out of the practice that I was working that had all pretty much tailored off so there really wasn't more work for me back there so yes it was just one of those just leapt in lucky I was only 28 or whatever I was and you know young and innocent and um, yeah my sister and I um, who was a people's nurse at the time we ended up setting up a clinic in a little small shop in town um, it was all funded by the vet from Catherine and we set up that clinic. He brought over some basic supplies. We started running that practice and as time went on, we, we went earned a bit of money. We put more stuff back into the practice and after a year, that chap decided that he was no longer keen to stay in Kununurra and gave me first dibs to buy it. Now, I came here with $500 cash and a push bike that my dad had bought me um, and not much else. And the least car, but um, through a number of circ- you know little uh, collisions of of you know synchronicity, I was supported in a little bit of cash. We basically back in the day needed ten thousand dollars to essentially we took over the fridge, the phone, the files, and enough drugs to get us through the first week and pay the shop rent. And essentially, the town just rushed in and supported us to stay and would bring us things and say. Um, you know, here you can have this and the bulk of the equipment and everything had gone back to Catherine. Um, to this day, our stainless steel surgery trolley was actually um, the the lolly the lolly trolley from the picture gardens at the drive-ins here and, and there was a lot of old labs and stuff that had been closed down because of this, the agricultural area and a lot of equipment had sort of ended up all around the town and literally people just rolled up with stuff and said, here, have this, we want you to stay. Um, it would never happen. It would never happen. That was, um, you know, 1991, and um, and really, I was I was given a vet centre. I didn't pay for the goodwill because the goodwill had been mine. Um, you know, I was loaned money by a blessed friend, and the house that I sit in when I, you know, as we speak now, um, is an unfinished stone house on 20 acres. And one of my dear clients that became a great friend that gifted us some money to get started. He eventually passed away in 2010 and left me his whole property. Um, so the other part of my life now is that I'm a mango farmer. Um, so my my journey in Kununurra has 
been phenomenal and and you could never in a thousand years have could I have dreamt 33 years later I would be here in a giant property with mangoes and a vet clinic now essentially our practice is is two vets and it's moved from that original shop um but yeah Kununurra has blessed me beyond the telling of it that's amazing what, a, what an amazing gesture from everyone yeah absolutely and I and my dear friend was Joe that passed away and I'm actually just at the end of, of editing our story. I have written our story because it has been an amazing journey and I have been given the most phenomenal home. It's a, it's a stone house that he built by hand. As I said, he never had a partner or the family he dreamt of to fill it up. Um, so it was essentially a shell when I came here. He only ever lived in his mango shed. Um, but, yeah, I have peace, space, um, and an amazing, amazing, the the whole house is 250 square metres. The roof and the verandas that surround it are 500 square metres. It is huge. Wow. What, in what year did he build the home? In the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you sp- must spend a fair time just with maintenance and upkeep and... Oh yes, oh yes. It's Taking been a journey. It. It's been a journey, and I've been I've been solo for for a very long time here, and and essentially by choice. But I have been blessed to find a beautiful man to join me in this house, and we've been together for about fifteen months. And he's a little bit younger than me, which is very lovely. But an enthusiastic tradesman and an avid avid grower of you know, vegetables and things. And last year I was solo vet, you know, in this vet crisis, I didn't have a second vet. Our mangoes come ripe November, December, which is the hot, torrid time of year here. Um, And yes, my darling fella pretty much picked the whole crop. I did a tiny bit of pricking, but mostly he would pick all day and then we'd, you know, pack at night. So equally, I, I have been extraordinarily blessed to find someone to, you know, a beautiful life partner to help me. And um, the foundations, the actual slab and the poles of this building, um, he (laughs) came into my life and went, oh, did you know all this is happening? And I didn't. So he's also spent an incredible amount of time um, fixing concrete cancer in the slab, which I didn't even know existed, and um, taking the rust out of the bottom of a lot of the poles because the slab is was built a little bit Kimberley style and doesn't drain well. So he's done some incredible maintenance, which, of course, there's no way that that would be in my capabilities. So, again, I feel very blessed in life and I'm very grateful to have someone to help me maintain this phenomenal place. It's just amazing. That, that's wonderful. Yeah, you must have, you know, there's a bit of an obligation, you know, to, to honour it, you know. Oh, absolutely, and 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 well said. It's What's involved I, in? It's the word yeah. I use all the time, though, to honor my inheritance. Yeah, yeah. What's involved in in the mangoes besides harvest, obviously? But what the rest of the year? What's what's involved in that? Um, so we're just. I mean, you know, the the tricky part is is that generally pruning and fertilizing should happen after picking, which, as I said, is the end of the year in the wet season. Well, mostly this. Um, orchard is uh, planted in somewhere in soil called black soil. Think wet cement. 
when it's wet. Um, so, you know, it's hard to get back on at that time of the year. So essentially they need to be, you know, pruned and maintained. They need to be fertilised. They need to be watered, um, maintaining the irrigation, you know, the sprinklers and everything to them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's various aspects that need to be done throughout the year. And, um, yeah, the reality is I have about 800 trees in the whole orchard. There's about 500 of them that are productive. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, it, it is. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, back to the practice for a second. So you're in a different location than that little storefront where you started. How long did your sister work with you? Uh, she worked with me for about a year probably. Um, and then, um, yeah, then at that point I, uh, the house that originally had been our rental house, um, where we lived, uh, and then went to work in the storefront and eventually the, the rental house. And again, it, truly, <laughs> this is kind of like a very, very convoluted history. Um, but yeah, the house that we rented there then eventually became the, the clinic and my partner then after, when I'd first come to Cunanar, I met a fellow who was a concreter. Um, and we actually had a rental house that were, um, had been rented by the, the boss that was from Catherine. And eventually, through a very long series of events, I was also blessed enough to be able to um, build a clinic there. And again, my then partner closed in the downstairs of a two-story building uh, because the future intention of the, the owners of that house was to knock that whole house down and build units. It had the listing, the zoning where you could build units on that place. And eventually they allowed us, they said, well, look, we're going to knock it down. You can build a clinic there. And then again, down the track, here come my blessings again. Um, they decided that they weren't going to knock everything down and build units. They were going to build a big house on their own other half of the block. And so said, did I want to buy that block and I was like again hmm, not with bottle tops um, but my dear friend Joe and that's how sort of our ongoing association he actually paid out um, a, a little loan I had on a block of land at that place I'd worked down south in Dongra and then I could borrow against it and Joe watched numbers he was Swiss and he was a very smart fellow though he would never have believed it himself and he won lotto he just he said you decide you will win you will win and he won a million. And mostly what he did was help everybody else. And I was one of those. So he um, paid out $20,000 on a loan I owned, owed for a block of land I still have down south. Um, and then I had the opportunity to buy the clinic. And that's where the clinic is to this day. Over the years, we've done massive extensions uh, uh, in uh, uh, down at the end of the uh, 2008 we did extensions to that building and now we have a, you know, great big building instead of sort of, you know, three rooms under a long skinny house. But, um, you know, I, I, again, you could never. I mean, it is why I've written about it because I do feel so blessed. I am so grateful um, and I have been honoured to be able to be here, have a business, you know, treat some amazing creatures and have some incredible life experiences in this place. What uh, what sort of what's your practice makeup now? What um, are you still doing everything? You do, I I think you mentioned that you're not doing surgery anymore. What what sort of things involve your day to day? So our practice is essentially small animals. 
Um, we do occasionally see a horse or whatever. There is one other private practitioner in town who does fly around the Kimberley doing preg testing and bull testing and various other things. So essentially we're small animals and wildlife. We also have an incorporated charity that runs out of our clinic, which is um, does domestic rescues as well as the wildlife care, so dog and cat rescue and rehome. So essentially our day is small animals um, with the odd wildlife that rolls in the door. Sadly, um, the Kimberley is a very, very damaged and degraded environment now to when I was first here 30 years ago. Um, we burn our country in ridiculous frequencies. Um, we have cane toads, which were an introduced South American parrot, you know, toad that was introduced in Queensland years ago and has now migrated across the whole country and decimated, decimated a lot of our wildlife, particularly the reptiles, because the metamorphs are little junior toads the and all the adults as well as the tadpole stages are all toxic to wildlife that eat them. So unfortunately this environment is not a healthy, beautiful environment that it used to be. So there is far, far less wildlife. But we still we still treat wildlife and, and essentially, yes, in, in my day and my life, we will we will treat anything, but the majority is dog, cats and probably five percent wildlife. And you do use some uh, holistic methods in practice, yeah? Yes, I do. Um, certainly, uh, as you said, I, I've retired from surgery. I've had two quite serious nerve injuries of different origins to my right arm. Um, the first one was a dog bite to my wrist many years ago and it paralysed one of my hand's nerves, main nerves, an ulnar nerve to my hand, and I ended up with a contracted, shriveled hand and I'd already had some experience of acupuncture for a whiplash injury I got in 1999, uh, 89, sorry, and um, I'd had successful treatment with acupuncture so I was already very aware of its powers. Um, from the get-go I'd been interested in natural therapies and a lot in, about nutrition and feeding. I'm not an advocate of processed food at all and never really have been. Um, so even though I am a mistress of all trades and, and and master of none, I have used homeopathy. I do love Chinese herbs and use a lot for myself. Um, as I said, I've had a lot of personal experience of acupuncture and the benefits. And when I went to a neurologist after my first nerve injury, he tested my nerve function. And in the two profound sentences that he said to me after diagnosing that I had 75% nerve damage in my hand. And so his next one and only line before he swanned out the door, knowing that I was a vet, was to say to me, well, you'll be getting a new job, won't you? And walked out the door and left me in a bucket of tears. Um, and literally I had a shriveled, constricted hand that I couldn't put thumb to fingers. Um, and I did. I walked out there thinking maybe I'll walk under a bus because my life as a vet is ruined. And I then found an amazing Hungarian man who did acupuncture on my, me and I regained pretty much probably 95% nerve function. I still have one numb index finger, which never really fully regained feeling, but I regained mobility um, and, you know, was an absolute convert. I did a lot of actual other complementary therapies, homeopathy and a lot of, you know, 
supplements and stuff as well. And then quite some years later, I suffered a serious brachial plexus entrapment in my armpit, which then sent me into a curled up on the floor crying ball for about six months. And again, the same man, I actually just took myself back to Perth. The Western answer was to fill me full of diazepam, panadine, voltaren, which did nothing. And each time I went back and I said, well, you know, what are we going to do? And they went, well, we're doing pretty much everything we can do. And again, you know, I reverted to complementary therapies and and got my function and quality of life back. I, I At that time I had horses and, you know, would have to feed out hay bales and move bags and I just thought that was it, that I would never be able to do any of that again, never mind work on the mangoes and pigs. So I did a lot of physical therapy on the farm here and, yeah, with, again, acupuncture and remedies. So I have a lot of personal experience. I also had a lot of girl troubles that Western medicine went, oh, we can chop out your ovarian cyst or the ones in your boobs and all those sorts of things. Again, everything I've turned up with in my life, Western medicine has pretty much said, "Mm, we haven't got much options for you. So I feel in lots of ways I was directed down the complementary therapy for my road for myself, never mind um, that I've done a lot of the same for my personal pets. So um, I can say, you know, I'm not a qualified anything in particular, but I have a lot of life experience with it. And that's pretty much what I've worked with. What do you like to do away from work? I'm a belly dancer. So I've danced since I was little. I did classical, jazz, tap, you know, all sorts of dance. But when I was a little tiny munchkin and my sisters were dancing, I was uh, used to go, you know, my mother would obviously take my sisters and I was four and I danced a whole class up the back for a year and you weren't supposed to be allowed to start classical ballet at that stage till you were six. Um, And when I rolled up the next year when I was five and my mother had bought me a tiny little red pair of dance pumps, um, the ladies all went, oh, my goodness, she's just going to do it up the back anyway, so just let her dance. So I pretty much my, certainly my soul food is is dancing Um, and we do some performances in Perth and we have a lovely group here. Um, so that's very much my pleasure. I I do love, you know, that the being out in the trees and the physical work on my farm is just brought a dimension to my life that you know balances out a lot of obviously our vet stress and life stress and all the rest of it. So I do love growing things and nurturing things. Um, I'm an avid reader, and apart from that, given the opportunity to sleep, oh yes, another favourite in life. But um, yes, I music dancing, those sorts of things. I think certainly in Kununurra the cultural things of live music and things are the parts I miss. Hence last weekend, you know, we dashed up to Darwin for a weekend to do a big music festival and get my boogie shoes on and get your music fixed. So they're certainly my my joys in life. Oh, that's great. Well, if I do my math properly, you're, you're what, 37 years in practice now. Oh, goodness. Yes. Where do you see things going after this? What, for me, look. What do you think? Uh, uh, I, I don't, you know, for me, the creatures are, are my life and, and my, you know, reason to etre. I had a personally very, very wobbly year in 2017. Um, a very dear friend of mine died very suddenly. Um, I had a number of personal um friendships and relationships that very abruptly disappeared or went south that I hadn't seen coming. Um, I had been away for a time and come back and walked in the door and was 
resoundingly abused by a couple of clients over very minor things, but it was very, very confronting when I'd just come back from my best mate's funeral. Um, and to be honest, I I came unraveled. Um, I just, yeah, couldn't cope with people in life and practice. So for six months, I pretty much stayed home and cried. Um, and my farm was was absolutely, this property was my therapy and my solace. And I did, I it was the first season where there'd been enough fruit that I pretty much went and picked. We have this amazing piece of equipment that I inherited that's called a squirrel. And it's a cherry picker. So it has a little bucket and a big arm that goes up and extends you into the tree. So I found newfound skills and joys of being out amongst the trees and the sun and the, you know, fresh air and the creatures. And I picked and I got stronger and better. And then I went off on a bit of a journey with two friends that I started university with. And we went down the Gib River Road here, which is an amazing bush experience and some incredible country. And that restored me. But essentially, um, you know, at that time, I, I kind of did, you know, it's like so many of us have to do a bit of life reassessment and, you know, how's it all working? But I did find my feet again. I have an amazing vet nurse who's been with me for 20 years, who's was also phenomenal support. And, and that's that thing for all of us, you know, there's makes me sad to realise that there are so many vets in such unsupported circumstances and it, um, you know, it is challenging that the expectations of clients these days uh, are certainly far in excess of, you know, when I certainly graduated. Um, but for me, the creatures will always be my motivation, always. So I think I've got tougher, um, certainly being out here at the farm, I've got stronger and slightly less um, willing to accept bad treatment from clients and stuff but equally um, our client base up here are amazing beautiful grateful wonderful people and we have indigenous clients we have white clients we have a great spectrum of finances and social you know situations but the majority of our clients are grateful wonderful caring kind people and they make it possible to keep going so certainly for me physically I I did retire from surgery after my hand injuries mostly I never loved it um so yes I do love to practice my medicine essentially I have a second vet as long as I can get them um that does the lion's share of the surgery and I can sort of I probably work you know three or four days a week and can generally manage to have a day off to do my farm things to work on my book to sleep to read to dance so for me, I, I yeah, I, I think as far as the profession goes, I think at last people are wising up and it makes me sad to realise that we had to have a whole vet conference in Australia to get people to treat people you know, nicely and for them to be rewarded appropriately financially and paid and valued and all those sorts of things. But I have great hope that that is changing and that, um, you know, we'll be able to have a, a healthier profession without this terrifying suicide rate and incredible dropout of, of you know, what I certainly find is something that gives me great joy and comfort being a vet. I couldn't agree more. Sarah, I think this is probably a good place to stop. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and it was wonderful to hear your story. And I'm kind of, actually, I'm kind of stuck in a mind or a, daydreaming about being up on the bucket picking mangoes oh it's awesome it sounds wonderful i love it i truly love it i really truly love it yeah it's just phenomenal yeah <laughs> ah great sarah thanks again for your time and uh please uh, 
thank you so much for your work and and I hope you have continued happiness. Thank you. Thank you for being interested in my wandering and ragged story and um, yeah, taking the time to listen. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.